0: Hello, Jeroen. Hello, Dylan. I think today we're going to eat our vegetables a little. And uh, instead of talking about opaque types and fun stuff like that, we're going to talk about something that maybe not everybody wants to talk about, but I think it's important.
1: I I don't want to talk about vegetables.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you want to talk about lighthouse scores? Oh, that's one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Lighthouse. Yeah. (laughs) Lighthouse sounds good. Now that I talked about vegetables, doesn't Lighthouse scores sound a lot more fun?
1: Well, it's good when they're green. <laughs> but...
0: If you saute a Lighthouse score, it's really crispy and nice.
1: <laughs> okay. So what is Lighthouse, Dylan?
0: Well, uh, Lighthouse is a tool that is built into Chrome and it gives you... Uh, some metrics around your site performance and best practices and accessibility. And um, if you haven't tried it, then you should open up Chrome, go to the Dev Tools, click on the Lighthouse tab, and generate a report and and see see how your site's looking. It's uh it it gives a lot of like interesting information and lots of like little low hanging fruit improvements that you can make to your site.
1: Yeah. So this episode will be about tips about around performance right
0: we'll t- we'll get into performance we'll we'll talk about some of the other things for for having sort of a you know an elm application or site that uses best practices and um there's you know there's a lot to to dig into some of the things are more elm specific and some of them are more general web practices
1: okay so um maybe let's go over uh, what kind of metrics uh, Ladders gives you
0: Yeah. Well, the thing that people see first and foremost when they open up a lighthouse report is everybody wants to see the score. Everybody wants to see a a green number, not an orange or a red number. Yeah. Ideally a a hundred. A hundred would be, would be nice. Yeah. So basically the way this works is it, it gives weight to certain. So sometimes you can, you can pretty drastically, Boost that number just by you know you were missing an alt tag on an image and you add an alt tag and it you know dings you quite a bit for for that and you know there are some some little low hanging fruit things that you can do to improve things per, uh, so there's a there's a performance metric and I believe the performance metric gives the most weight to first contentful paint cumulative layout shift and time to interactive and those are metrics that Google who, who maintain Lighthouse have, have been sort of tweaking over the years to try to get more meaningful, num- you know, heuristics um, that, that better reflect the, a good user experience. You know, I, I, I think, and it's, it's worth noting, like we're often testing out our sites. First of all, um, you know, probably served locally.
1: Well, that gives me the best experience, so why should I try it somewhere <laughs> else? <laughs> right.
0: It's served locally, it's on a desktop computer, it's on a, you know, multi-thousand dollar machine. Many people are accessing these things, you know, uh, on a mobile device, maybe not even a high powered mobile device, depending on, you know, um on, on your user base. Uh, you know,
1: it's and gonna unnecessar- be on a
0: small screen and
1: yeah, and necessarily with uh high quality with a fast network,
0: exactly. They might be loading it with 3G, and that's one of the things that you know Lighthouse does is it will it will throttle your network speed to simulate a slow 3G uh, network, uh, which you can do in Chrome. Um, you can you can just go to Chrome or a Chrome based browser, and you can go to the network tab, and you can turn on network throttling and, and see how that feels to to use that simulated throttling. So, yeah, I think they've sort of arrived at these key metrics of first contentful paint, cumulative layout shift, and time to interactive as good measures of how users are going to experience the performance of your site. So, you know, first contentful paint would be, you know, if you get, so if you get like a loading screen to the user as fast as possible, or like the skeleton of your app, users perceive that as much faster than, for example, if you had... Um, you know, if if you had a blank screen that is clearly loading for a long period of time, right?
1: Mm-hmm. You prefer to see something rather than nothing.
0: Yes, users yeah. are extremely impatient, uh, which is totally understandable if they don't have any indication that things are happening. And so first contentful paint is a measure that help, helps you sort of understand how quickly do I get something on the screen that that indicates that things are happening. And, the, you know, these things have been studied quite a bit, like in the e-commerce space in particular, where, you know, this, the, you can draw a direct connection between these types of metrics, you know, your, um, your sales, yeah, your sales numbers. And what's, what's the term for, uh, people quickly backing out of a site. I can't remember the bounce rate, bounce rate. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Bounce rates and, and sales are directly connected to these performance ind- indicators. So that's been well studied that you can have you know i don't know a, a 10% increase in sales on an e-commerce site for every however many you know 500 milliseconds or or less i don't i don't remember the exact numbers but it's it's significant
1: yeah it almost feels absurd like how, how yeah. much difference there is with such a small difference in speed mm-hmm. like yeah mm-hmm. That just feels unreal to me.
0: Yeah, it, it is it is pretty amazing. But but also, you know, as a as a user, you you can relate to it that mm-hmm. you you're waiting for a site to load and you're just staring at a blank screen and. You're just like, you know what? Mm, I don't really need to do this right now. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah in, in those five seconds where you have to wait for the page loading, you can revisit your life's choices. Do I really need to <laughs> to buy this? Yeah, no. Do, exactly. Do I really, do I really exactly. want to buy this person a gift? Nah. Maybe not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do I really like them that much? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's loaded. Okay, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> they didn't get me a gift for my birthday this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's first, contentful paint, and you know, you you can do certain things like preloading or having a skeleton, uh, you know, that can help with that. And you can you can see in Chrome when you do like performance benchmarks um, in the performance tab, you can actually see the snapshots of the loading time. So you yeah, can, yeah, mm-hmm. which is pretty pretty helpful. Um, then we've got cumulative layout shift that's like a, a more recent one that they've started to um to emphasize in in these metrics and mm-hmm. um it, it it they used to call it page jank.
1: Oh um, yeah.
0: There's like a classic example. I actually have a Chase credit card, so I I've seen this many times that you go to like the Chase online like credit card site to like redeem your rewards points and there's, you know, there are like 10 different spinners. And little by little, each spinner is loading, and the page is shifting around. You know. Yeah. Well,
1: at least their first contentful paint is probably fast. <laughs>
0: exactly. They got it fast. <laughs> Maybe they were looking at those lighthouse metrics yeah. and optimizing for the wrong thing, and then <laughs> and and that's probably the kind of thing that was happening. That Google's like, okay, people started doing better on this one score, but. How do we capture this thing that feels really bad now in the user experience? You know, there are certain things you can do to uh, to reduce that, you know, cumulative layout shift. Um, and we'll we'll get into some of those. But that's um, that's that's one that will make the site feel snappier and and just less less janky, less glitchy. Yeah,
1: I looked at the documentation for cumulative layout shift because I didn't understand the term at first. In the in the docs, they they have a GIF, 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 where someone wants to click on. Um, don't buy this item <laughs> in, instead of uh, buying. So you got That's two, two, two items uh, two buttons uh, right under and yeah. above each other, and then right when they're about to click no, they there <laughs> there's a banner at the top coming uh, popping up, and which moves the button, and so the person clicks on pay, and then you, awesome. you, see, you see the mouse saying oh no oh no like <laughs> moving all around and clicking no 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 no. That's amazing. That, that, that made me laugh so much on the yeah
0: it, it's in that's the official really google docs like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it sounds like something that jake archibald would do or the um yeah
1: so that, that explained it to me very well
0: there you go that's a perfect perfect summary yeah love it the last big one that's uh, i think heavily weighted in in the performance metrics is the time to interactive so you know first contentful paint sort of captures how long it takes to initially get something on the screen. Time to interactive captures, um, and and again, these these scores have gotten better and better at reflecting sort of real things that you feel as a user that make things feel more responsive and snappy. So time to interactive is one of those things that, you know, you go to a site, it initially loaded something really quickly. You know, maybe it doesn't have lots of layout jank, so it's got a good cumulative layout shift score. And then you go to click on a form field to type something in and nothing happens. That's time to interactive. So how it's the amount of time until all of the sort of execution for initially setting up the page have settled. Mm -hmm.
1: I I have a hard time figuring out when that is a problem. Um, I mean, in practice, I've not seen pages where the page loads fast, but then it takes five seconds for it to be interactive.
0: It actually can be. So, I mean, because... You know, JavaScript is a single-threaded environment, and so you've got all this, all this work competing on the UI thread. So, um, what will happen quite often is you scroll, and it's very shaky, and it doesn't feel responsive. Mm-hmm. That happens quite a bit. It's one of those things that, when you sort of have the term to describe it, you realize how how ubiquitous it is but when you don't have the term you just feel somewhat frustrated and you don't know why <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i really wonder how they test that though
0: i think it's like they wait until the latest large javascript execution has settled for at least 100 milliseconds or something like something like okay, that
1: okay yeah yeah mm-hmm. i was expecting them to find a button or a text field and interacting with it
0: right right Mm-hmm. yeah yeah, so I think that these these core metrics like pretty well capture things that are are very much going to give the user a better experience. So I, I I like I like the metrics they've arrived at and I think these are good terms to sort of keep in mind when you're trying to to make these improvements. Yeah. So who should who should be doing these optimizations and be paying attention to these things you're in? What do you think? Well, the
1: developers. If there's only developers in your team, then I would say developers.
0: Like, where is this relevant? Where is it not relevant? You know, is it relevant if we have a, you know, back office internal tool?
1: Mm, is yeah. it
0: less relevant there than other places? Like, like who should, who should care about this? And who should care more? Who should care less?
1: I would say the closer you're to the customer, the more you should care about it. You, should, you probably shouldn't care too much about it for back office or internal tooling. Uh, unless it, it's very slow
0: which which can happen but yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> because you have not uh, put any effort in the performance of the tool so yeah then if your internal users uh, are complaining then yeah do something mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. right and maybe lighthouse could give, um, shed some lights on it
0: yeah and I, I would i agree that for back office tools you don't need to uh, get too crazy about optimizing things but also if there's low-hanging fruit, why not? So I think that it's worth running Lighthouse. I think just being aware of where things stand is a really great idea for, for any application. And then, for, I mean, certainly for, you know, as we talked about e-commerce, you can directly connect that to your bottom line. And, uh, you know, you should really be at at that point, if you're an e-commerce company, then you should really be. Taking this seriously and tracking it over time, and yeah. you know maybe keeping a performance budget and tracking big features and how they affect that,
1: and aiming for that 100 score. Yeah,
0: yeah. As as far as that's possible, there may be limitations, but uh, at, at least at least being aware. I think I think everyone in every in every situation, you may as well be aware. You may as well run Lighthouse yeah, yeah. and see what you find and see if yeah. there's low hanging fruit. And you know, Lighthouse. You know, we talked about some sort of some of these. Metrics that indicate a good user experience, and that's one piece of it, but lighthouse will also you know I mean if there are you know if you're not serving things over HTTPS, mm-hmm. they'll ding you for that another
1: um, correctly so
0: yeah, exactly those are the kinds of things that I mean, whether it's back office or not, that's probably a, a good thing that you should be aware of if there are issues like that yeah. you know or or if you have like SEO, if SEO is important. Especially like on a marketing page and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Lighthouse
0: is going to tell you some basic SEO things that it's not going to give you a comprehensive analysis of your SEO, but it'll give you some basic best practices. Yeah. All right. Should we dive into some, some specifics here?
1: On uh, performance. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. So, you know, one, one low hanging fruit thing is just using a hosting provider, ideally a CDN, what is it? Content distribution network. Content delivery, content delivery network. Yes, yeah, that sounds right. You know, so something like you know, I mean, I use Netlify quite a bit, and I've been very pleased. Uh, you know, with their with their free tiers, people say a lot of good things about Netlify, but there are there are other options as well. But that's something that I think is a, a low hanging fruit performance improvement for a lot of people. So, like, uh, one of the reasons that a CDN helps is that it it serves up your you know static assets, your you know compiled Elm code and you know if you have your entry point HTML and it serves those assets at the edge, so at the at the nearest uh, location, rather than having to request something to a server Mm -hmm. and send it back from AWS East or something like that, it's gonna serve it at the nearest servers because it's just a static file, so it doesn't need to hit a specific server in a specific location.
1: Yeah, it acts as a cache proxy, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. CDN is effectively your, your um, everything is just cached because they're static files. So there's no sort of intelligent caching to do for serving static files. I mean, I'm sure there is plenty of optimizing they do around mm-hmm. that, but um, it's pretty simple. Just put the files a bunch of places and serve them as fast as you can. Um, and it, that'll take care of HTTPS and give you certificates and it's quite nice, so I, I recommend taking a look at Netlify or, or similar CDN services.
1: Yeah, I think Netlify serves your your website, but if you if you if you don't need it to to serve your uh, your server, uh, you, you can use other CDNs which just acts as a proxy uh, between your server and the user's uh, mm-hmm. computer. Which Netlify probably also right. does, but I'm not aware of that.
0: Uh are you thinking of like what is it Cloudflare or yeah. I haven't used those myself but
1: Yeah that's uh, the kind of thing we did at some of my previous uh, workplaces
0: Mhm yeah yeah nice yeah so those are some you know I mean those are some things that don't require a ton of engineering effort but they'll give give you some performance gains that'll make Lighthouse a little happier and and make your users mm-hmm. happier
1: How how do you make that work because as you said like you just put a, f- a static file uh on a CDN or you have it serve your file, but what if your file changes? Like, uh, what if my index.html has changed since I since it was last served on a CDN?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, for like or an, an index.html, index. sure. it's it's not going to do file based hashing because that's the entry point.
1: That might be a bad example, <laughs>
0: uh, but for something like an image, you can certainly you know use tools you know have a Webpack config that uses file based hashing and and sets like a long cache period and and uses the file name for cache busting. Yeah, there's a whole set of practices around that.
1: Yeah, so adding the hash to the file name and replacing every occurrence of that in your source files, Mm -hmm. uh, CSS, HTML, JavaScript files. Right. So that whenever your file changes, uh, you you get a new hash or version number for that file. So you don't request the old file anymore.
0: Mm Mm-hmm for for images so one of the um you know one of the biggest areas of low hanging fruit for for these performance improvements on a lot of on a lot of websites is images because yeah you know if you're serving like a big 1 megabyte image which is not uncommon that you know some somebody doesn't really think about that and they just put the image there
1: okay it is really important that our uh, javascript files are less than 100 kilobytes
0: right. big. That, right, right, right.
1: <laughs> and then you do a lot of work to, to make that work. Yes. And then someone puts <laughs> yeah. very big images on your exactly. website.
0: Now, actually, that said, there is a much greater cost to, uh, you know, per kilobyte of JavaScript versus images. Because images, yeah. they're just rendering them. Whereas JavaScript, you know, when, when the JavaScript comes down the wire, you decompress the asset that just loaded so even if it's you know whatever it's like 100 kilobytes compressed and 200 kilobytes uncompressed well now that that's computation that needs to be done to decompress it so sure you saved some you know bandwidth over the wire which is great but there's computation to be done now once it you know decompresses that it needs to it needs to exactly it needs to parse it and then Executed. So it's extremely yeah. expensive per, per kilobyte of JavaScript.
1: Yeah, and uh, until it has all been uh, decompressed, read, uh, parsed, executed, you don't have anything to show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, yes, yes. Uh, and
1: At least uh, in Elmland. So th- that impacts the first mm-hmm. Contentful paint, right?
0: Right, unless you're doing some sort of pre-rendering, and that's that's yeah. another... That's another topic but uh and we'll get into some of those things a bit.
1: But yeah, you you can have a big um size gains for images
0: at least. Yes. So for for images, what what I've started doing that I've been really happy with is uh using Cloudinary and there are other similar services. I I haven't used other ones, but I've been very happy with Cloudinary. You just, you know, upload your image assets there and it takes care of serving up a a performant optimized image. And so like the way that it works with Cloudinary, you upload the image and then they have like a URL-based API for saying, I want it at this width, I want it at this height, I want it at this quality, this format. And on their servers, they'll take care of doing it. And it's, I mean, that's what they do. So they're able to optimize these images extremely quickly.
1: Do they also cache it through a CDN for you? Yeah, I
0: mean, I think the, the serving is all, they, they take care of all of that for you. So it's served up as efficiently as possible. And not only that, but like you you can set automatic quality, which is quite handy. So you can say, I'm going to serve it at these dimensions, this width and this height. But you pick the best quality. Basically, you know, if you can compress it to 20% quality and mm-hmm. it's going to not deteriorate the quality noticeably, then fine. Like I'll leave that to you Mm -hmm. instead of just picking a quality number and going for that. It will, um, it also gives you the ability to do auto format. So to automatically pick an image format. And so what that will do is based on the incoming request, it can tell the the agent, the user agent. So it can tell if it's loading from Chrome or Safari, and then it's going to, you know, if it's, On a browser that doesn't support WebP, then it's going to serve a JPEG. If it's coming from Chrome, which supports WebP, then it'll use WebP, which you know compresses down a lot smaller.
1: Okay, I think we should say that this was not paid (laughs) advertising, unless you want us to uh, cloudinary. Unless
0: they want to pay us, yeah, (laughs) feel free.
1: Uh, And until they they do. Uh, there are probably alternatives to the, to this, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, I I haven't played around with with alternative solutions, mm-hmm. but I've been very happy with Cloudinary and just in general this this approach of offloading that work to you know some service that just does that very well. I think it makes a lot of sense. I recently, you know, with with Elm Pages, I was <clears throat> I was doing a lot of like sketching for an API to to allow you to sort of specify image optimizations to perform a lot like Gatsby's image optimization API. I had this realization, you know, some um, like Chris Biscardi, who's worked on some Gatsby features and has his own static site generator tool now, influenced my thinking on this a lot with talking about like this, this bloat that comes from doing image optimization during your build step. Mm -hmm. It adds a lot of time to your build step. So I mean, there are other ways to do this. There are like, you can wire up a github action to go into your github repository and optimize images. But in general like just optimizing some an image during your build step is going to bloat your build quite a yeah. bit. And it's probably not going to do as good a job as something like cloudinary or a similar service, especially if you're trying to load it at, you know, 10 different responsive breakpoints. And that's that's like sort of another, another area that can really give you some like serious wins is like if you're on, um, I mean, let's say you have like a, I don't know, a, a photography portfolio site, right? And you want like really crisp, clean photos, but somebody's viewing it on a tiny phone. You don't want to serve the, you know, 4,000 pixel wide ultra HD high res version, right?
1: Maybe they're missing out. <laughs> if you don't do that i don't
0: they in many cases they're going to have a um a, a worse experience you know waiting for it and uh, you know it, the the size may not even be perfectly suited to display properly because there aren't enough pixels to display it so it's better to have the correct number of you know correct width mm-hmm. so just i mean i just felt a big relief giving up on the idea of doing that in my build process and just making that someone else's problem. And um, yeah. like for for the elmradio.com website, I actually made a change recently where I moved the assets over to Cloudinary and I made like a little responsive image helper. So it sets the uh, the source set, S-R-C-S-E-T, to give you all these different breakpoints for the image. So it's going to, um, and, and then it just tells Cloudinary, like, all right, like if, if it's a device with at least this width, then serve it at this Cloudinary URL, which specifies the width. And it says automatically pick a quality for me, automatically pick an image format for me. It just says, this is the width. It's oh, super easy to write yeah. a little Elm function that does that for you. And you're just like, you're going to end up with way better performance and it's going to be way easier than trying to like set up all these scripts to optimize images for you and stuff. So I, I was I was very happy to like just give up on the idea of having my own build tasks to to do that work.
1: Yeah, and, and now you deploy much faster too.
0: Well, that's that's yes. Oh man, that was an interesting. Um, I still have not solved the mystery of this one line change I made in in the Elm pages source code that um, that took. <laughs> Our Elm, elmradio.com builds from like 15 minutes to under two minutes. <laughs> Still have not solved that mystery. <laughs> but it's faster, so I'm happy. And then on the topic of images, so another sort of low-hanging fruit thing you can do is this um, lazy image loading. So I think you just say like lazy equals true or something, right? On the image attribute? hmm I uh, another...
1: actually don't know what that does.
0: Oh, you you're not familiar with it? Okay. And I, I looked up the syntax to refresh my memory, and it's so in your IMG tag, you say mm-hmm. loading equals lazy. Okay. And that's supported in Chrome, Edge, Opera, Firefox, and the Safari implementation is in progress. It's going to degrade gracefully and just not do anything on browsers that don't support it. So mm, um okay. so what it what it does is if an image is scrolled into the viewport that you're currently viewing on the page yep. then it will make sure to load it if it's not then you scroll down Ooh. and then it starts to load it so it doesn't so if, you know that's how know. it's done okay
1: oh, that's much simpler than i thought
0: <laughs> it's extremely simple i mean there for the for the most part there's not really a reason to not do that yeah there may be some cases where you, you know, maybe you don't have a ton of image assets. There's just like one extra image, and it's not worth that small savings to, you know, scroll and then see it pop into appearance. But, um, but yeah, you, you may as well play around with it and see how it feels. Yeah. And on the topic of image optimization, um, a really big win is if you can use an SVG instead of a JPEG or PNG. It's just, going to give you it's it's purely a win it's um gives you the best quality and performance is it smaller in size always uh, it generally it's going to be smaller in size okay. i mean it perhaps if you have like a um an extremely complex shape yeah you know, there could be certain instances where where it's not going to be as optimal but um for the for the most part and especially with like more simple shapes and logos yeah okay it's overall going to be a big win in most cases.
1: Yeah. Especially if you try to make the image very big, mm-hmm. then you don't have to exactly. download. Yeah. You don't have to download the big image. You just have to download. Well, the same thing as for the small icon or the small image.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, sometimes I look at the HTML files of uh, websites and I see some icons mm-hmm.
0: for Mac, I think with like a lot of 40 of them.
1: Yeah, 40 of them um, <laughs> with different sizes and all. Do you know what that is all about? I
0: do. I, I know it all too well.
1: <laughs> you say it with such enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times.
0: Jeroen, I know about these icons just as well as I know ISO 8601.
1: <gasps> I love when you say that. <laughs>
0: So, so these icons, it's one of these things that's gotten a little bit unwieldy where, you know, you have an Apple touch icon and you have an icon for, for a Microsoft phone and for, you know, whatever device and they have like, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot like these sort of vendor prefixes. In Mm. browsers where you start sort of having your CSS be like, oh, Firefox has this one CSS feature and, you know, Chrome implemented it differently. So you can, you know, fine tune it based on these slightly different implementations and things like that. It's very similar to that. It's the kind of thing where like a lot of the tags that are put on there are for like iOS 5, you know, and, and iOS 5 has certain requirements that the icon that it would use if you create a bookmark uh-huh yeah you know you create a bookmark and now it's on your home screen and that's the icon it's going to use for that and then you know if you create a, a bookmark on a microsoft computer then it's going to use a different asset and so yeah i mean there are these services that will just generate those for you
1: mhm but that's for an older version of ios
0: well, there are ones for older versions and then there are ones for newer ver- versions. And oh. it is still recommended and Lighthouse will ding you if you don't include certain ones. And there's, you may be shocked, own, but I used Cloudinary to generate those <laughs> for the elmradio.com site.
1: <laughs> I'm so shocked.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those things that you just sort of, get the right ones and and get them on there and it makes lighthouse happy and who knows maybe nobody will add your site as a bookmark and it will never make a difference but at least lighthouse mm-hmm. will be happy about it
1: yeah <laughs> i i imagine that i would add them until lighthouse stops uh yeah let me know about problems
0: yeah that's a reasonable way to go yeah i've been trying to like encapsulate that in a in a little helper function and as something that can be like shared for for Elm Pages sites mm-hmm. and there, so there's another set of icons that um, Lighthouse will tell you about which Retina? is yes and oh. there uh, well so you've got in the manifest.json the manifest.json is just a JSON file with you know a specific sort of format of data that that it expects and that data is to tell it about a so-called progressive web app oh yeah and mm-hmm. so what that means is if your website meets certain criteria served over HTTPS has a service worker I think it may even need to meet certain performance attributes but but it certainly needs to be uh, secure uh, you can't you can't run a service worker on a page if it it's not served over HTtPS, yeah mm-hmm. um, because it's sort of it's it's a man in the middle it can intercept HTTP requests and mm. change them yes, yeah okay yeah, so it acts as a proxy, the service worker it can intercept those and, and tweak them and give its own responses so so it needs to be served over HTTPS, but if you have a um, a website that meets those criteria enough to be deemed a progressive web app by the browser that your user is loading your site in, then they will be presented with an option to to install your site as an app. Yeah. Or they can just go in and manually save it as, you know, on, on an iPhone. I think you, you know, in Safari, you say like save to home screen. Yeah, I think the same
1: thing on Android. Android. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So if you do that, then... There are a few things that are going to feel like a more like a native app. It's going to have a splash screen when you load the app, just like a native app would. It's going to have an icon that's you know supposed to sort of look like a regular app icon. And so you need that set of icons that you specify. So the manifest.json has a set of icons. You can set certain things like, does it have a URL bar or not? If you want it to feel more like a native app, you can opt out of the URL bar. So you can configure certain things like that. You can set categories for listing it in certain app stores. You know, uh, Microsoft has, I think, gone all in on uh, making progressive web apps installable. So like,
1: mm,
0: like I think nice. the official, you know, uh, Windows um, Twitter app is just a progressive web app. It's just their, you know, twitter.com. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Um there's varying support for progressive web apps but it's it's quite a quite a neat approach yeah
1: the the twitter web app is the only one that i've used to, until now and i, I found it much better than the native application mhm yeah mhm so that's a good example
0: yeah i mean it, it it makes sense uh you know just this concept of a progressive web app makes sense because you you know you go to a site maybe you're not going to use it forever maybe it's like a conference you know a conference page or you know, some event or, you know, some you don't want to install a whole app or create a whole app for that, but you can have a service worker and set it to sort of make certain assets available offline. So that's, that's a whole, that's a whole nother can of worms of, you know, how you, how you approach caching those offsets, those assets for offline. I'm working on an API for that, for Elm pages, where you can sort of specify which pages should be available with which cache policies, you know, available upon install, uh, cached as soon as they're loaded, and then available offline after that. You know, you can do like stale while revalidate, which means every time you request the asset, you immediately request the fresh copy of that. But then you serve up the old copy that you have cached if you yeah, have one
1: cached. In the meantime. Mm-hmm.
0: So Mm -hmm. there are all these different, you know, sort of cache strategies and there are tools like um, Workbox is this Google tool that gives you a more high level way of working with the service worker API and specifying specific assets to be cached and generating a sort of manifest that tells you which, which files need to be cache busted Mm -hmm. in the latest service worker and and maintaining things like that. It's, uh, you know, it's complex and it's. Very difficult to get a um, a service worker right, to get that caching done right for an offline experience. I mean, it. I think it's a really exciting space, the, this area of progressive web apps. Yeah,
1: definitely. So Lighthouse actually tries to run your website as a progressive web app. It right. will tell you when it does and when it doesn't. So I tried running it on Elm Radio and it is not a progressive web app and it tells you yes. it, it is not because it does not do this it does not do this
0: essentially yeah it doesn't give you a 200 response when it loads the the main landing page which uh if it's offline uh so which mean and yeah on elm pages so elmradio.com is built with elm pages and i do not i like don't have any service worker stuff right now because i want to sort of create a really good service worker api it's it's diff, it's an inherently complex problem to Figure out the cache policies for things, and it's not getting a an offline ready web application is not like a drop in thing. You know, what if you're making dynamic HTTP requests to you know some some real time data? What do you should do? not be
1: cached? Or yeah,
0: exactly. You can't cache that. So um, you know, you can you can go as far as you know having a local database and. Sending and syncing data. There's like a service worker API for syncing data. So, you know, the service worker will sort of store that data. If you if you add something to your shopping cart, mm-hmm. and then you you're offline, and then you you get online again and it notices that there's something that's not been synced and it makes that request to get it in sync. That's not yes. a drop in no. feature that you just say please make this a service, you know, please make this an offline ready progressive web app. That's something that requires a thoughtful design to make these sort of user experience and, and technical decisions. And uh, so I'd like to, you know, give a good API for doing that sort of thing with Elm Pages, but it is, uh, I want to do it right. And I want to give that the attention it deserves. Uh, so once once that's done, I think it would be super cool to have the ability to make a little offline ready page that you can install as an app
1: yeah definitely uh, what I really like with Lighthouse is that it tells you about all those things that are missing or that are not great uh, it tells yeah now I know just by reading that what I need to do to to make it a progressive web app and there's there are links to documentation and all that I found that really helpful yeah it's almost like a static analysis tool you know
0: right yeah you like static analysis tools Uh <laughs> I, I think they
1: can be useful, but you shouldn't do, overdo them. Yeah, you shouldn't spend too much time working on those. I think probably, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, on this topic of progressive web apps and offline ready, Luca Luca Mug uh, has this um, Elm starter project that he's built, and you know, it 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 sort of takes care of that. Like the idea is to make it a lightweight wrapper around a plain LMAP that, you know, mm-hmm. you don't sort of build it to this sort of frameworks API, but you just drop in a few things and connect it to an LMAP. So so that's something to look into if you want to just sort of take a landing page that's an LMAP, and it's not going to help you sort of set up syncing your offline transactions and stuff in the background mm-hmm. and things like that. That's not the intention, but it's more like Here's an L map and I want you to be able to install this and load it offline. Yeah, it's it's a a great tool for helping you do that.
1: Yeah, or a good resource if you need to go further.
0: Right, definitely. Mhm. Do
1: you want to go over what else uh Linus gives us? Uh so what what I see is that it gives information about uh, multiple topics. So one of them is performance which we've covered already. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in full but we've covered it.
0: There's a lot there's, there's, you, can, uh, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes with performance.
1: Yeah, I think so. Three others are accessibility, mm-hmm. SEO, and best practices. I have no clue, but best practices, mm-hmm. actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe before we move on from performance, mm-hmm. it's worth just noting a couple of last things. One is make sure that you're using dash dash optimize when you optimize, when you build oh, your yeah. production Elm bundle and also make sure that you're using terser to do the minification and dead code removal
1: is there any difference between terser and uglify or uglify js yes, i don't know uh, terser
0: don't is like the 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 new way of doing it uglify has since been deprecated but it's effectively gotcha. the same thing
1: yeah i think terser works with es6 or es2015 which which we don't care about uh, for elm but
0: yeah so that's that's like a low hanging fruit. If you're not doing that, you really should. Um, if you if you try to use the dash dash optimize flag in your Elm app and it's complaining, then remove those debug dot logs and those uh, debug dot dos from your production app. <laughs> it's worth yeah. taking the time to do that.
1: Help help your Elm go not crash. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Also, Matt Griffith and and Simon Twap have. Uh, done Done. this really cool project, Elm Optimize Level 2. And mm-hmm. uh, that's that's worth checking out. It's yeah, You could try it out, see how it affects your performance score. It's just something that you use to compile your Elm app and it runs some sort of static optimizations on the JavaScript output that make it run better in the JavaScript runtime. Pretty cool project.
1: I, I think it tries to um, optimize for speed, but not necessarily size. Is it, am I correct?
0: That might... Be correct. Yeah, it's definitely worth looking at. Yeah, uh, you know what numbers it gives you.
1: L- like most things, when you do uh, work with performance, run
0: benchmarks. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, and a, a really good tool too for uh, performance benchmarking is you know if you go to the the performance tab in your Dev Tools, um, you can in, in your browser. Little... Yes. Right. right. Then you can go to hit this little record button, and it will capture. The JavaScript execution, and you know which functions are taking the longest. We can um, we can link. Uh, Drew, Drew Liu has a really great blog post that talks about how to analyze performance bottlenecks in Elm. Um, I've used that technique many times, and if you're finding that you have some performance bottleneck somewhere, that's that's quite a useful technique. And then uh, one last point about performance. So if you have so HTTP2 kind of had this HTTP push concept of, you know, you request a certain page and your server is able to say, oh, you requested this page. But since it's that page you requested, I know some other assets you're going to need. So let me send those over to you. Now, that has sort of failed. That spec has had some failures. And it's turned out, I think, essentially, the the bottom line is, technically, it was extremely difficult. But on the server side, it was difficult to to implement that consistently serving up the correct assets. And now the recommended practice is, like Netlify for example, used to have support for HTTP to push, and they dropped that some time ago. Um, the recommended practice these days is to use preload tags. And so a preload tag is just uh, it's just a link tag that you put in your head of your HTML. It's link rel equals preload, href equals Something.js as script. Um, we'll put a link to, to something with more information about that. But that um, that's another thing that can sort of help. Sort of. Um, so what that does is you don't need to execute all this code to know what assets are going to need to be fetched because what the browser is doing is it's parsing everything and fig. You know, in order to figure out what it needs to fetch. But if it sees a preload tag. Before it parses it and figures out the dependency tree, you're giving it a hint that says, hey, by the way, as soon as you see this in the head tag, go and fetch this asset, you're going to need it. Okay. So that's a helpful thing.
1: So does it fetch it before other things that are more urgent or does it wait until everything else has been downloaded?
0: There are different priorities for the the fetches and... Um, I think it'll give it some sort of medium priority, not necessarily the highest priority, but it will do its best to to squeeze that in there so it's ready when it needs it. Uh, but it, the way that like that rendering an HTML page works is there are certain things that need to be done before it can continue with execution. So if you put a script tag in your head tag, then what it's going to do, so you say script and then you you link to some source for the script. So you fetch the HTML, it has that script tag. So now it's parsing the HTML um, because it's, you know, it doesn't understand it yet, it needs to parse it. And it gets to that script and then it says, uh-oh, I can't do anything else until I've fetched, you know, decompressed and evaluated this JavaScript code. Because because the JavaScript code uh, could modify the HTML page that it's going to to render, and that JavaScript code also the the next script that's in there could also be dependent on the previous one. You you yeah. have to load jQuery before you load the main script, right? So so in order to prevent that, um, you can you can use the defer tag on scripts, and we'll link to a resource about like the um you know the Google. Uh, web performance team's recommendations on that. Uh, there there are a lot of different uh, resources that talk about how to do this. But um, in a nutshell, it, it tends to work pretty well if you add a defer tag to the script, because what that's going to do is it's just going to say, you know what, you don't need to block rendering the rest of the HTML and continuing to fetch all of the images and scripts and assets that you determine need to be fetched you can just uh, come back to this JavaScript when you get there and load it when, when you're done showing the page initially. Yeah.
1: Please um, do my first content full paint first. Right, oh, yeah.
0: right. Now, if that's just like an empty HTML page, yeah, then, then you might want to prioritize that differently. So, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. pre-rendering, Elm Starter does some pre-rendering and uh, Elm Pages does pre-rendering. So if you... If you are doing some sort of pre-rendering, uh, Elm Pages just does this uh, script defer for you. So it will give you a faster first Contentful Paint. Okay, so that's good for performance. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So maybe let's talk about SEO then. From what I can tell uh, from the Lighthouse report, SEO tells you more about things like uh, user experience, uh, especially with regards to mobile, for instance. like. Uh, making sure that uh, your your page shows up correctly on a smaller device than than if it was on a desktop device.
0: I think that would be under best practices.
1: Maybe I see it's an, under SEO, like the meta name viewport. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you're right. It is under
0: SEO. Interesting. Well, interesting. I guess I
1: did know then. Great.
0: I do see that one under there. That's that's interesting. I'm not sure why, but. Yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, it's saying to to do, to make it mobile friendly under SEO. Oh, you know what? You know why it's under there? Because, because
1: otherwise um, Google will uh, declassify you in search results, I'm guessing.
0: Exactly. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yep. That's right. It will, it will ding you in your page ranking if you violate these certain basic mobile friendly metrics.
1: Yeah. So if you care about SEO, you really want a good score on this. And right, right. it is possible
0: to get a hundred. I don't
1: know if it's easy. But I'm guessing you just mostly.
0: It's it's fairly easy. Yeah, it's okay. fairly easy. Yeah, um, yeah, and and one thing like with um, you know, responsive pages. Um, so yeah, there's that there's that little magic incantation that tag that you put in there that just makes Google happy. The uh the meta name meta name viewport and the you know. Initial scale and all of that,
1: which I know nothing about, but there is a link, so I'm guessing that I could I could learn more under the learn more link.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll include a link to that. It's it's um, just one of those things you do that. Uh, so sometimes what what will happen the, the, it, people used to um, do things like disabling zooming in on a on a page. Have you ever like gone to pinch to zoom on a on a web page on your mobile? Browser? Yeah. Then uh, it won't let you zoom.
1: Uh, that's that
0: awful. used. To, it's really it's bad. It's bad. It's also bad for accessibility. So if yeah. somebody, you know, doesn't have uh, perfect vision, you know, if they're visually impaired, then they may need to zoom. Also, if you're not visually impaired, you may need to zoom. It's just like it, you know, accessibility is is um, something that's that's good for everybody. And some of these basic things that Lighthouse tells you about are are good ideas in general. So um, so that's, yeah, you just put that magic in, incantation and it's going to sp- set aside that uh, full width on mobile and, and look good there. And for making responsive web apps, so like if you're using Elm UI, you want to be careful about making sure you're wrapping things in paragraphs as needed because a paragraph is going to not overflow, but it's going mm-hmm. to wrap. So basically anytime you load your your mobile app and there's an overflow where you like have to scroll to the side and like part of the text hangs off of the page. That's that's a bug. Right. And Lighthouse will tell you about that.
1: Nice. Uh, Under SEO or under accessibility?
0: Maybe under SEO. Yeah. Those are important ones to get right. And then some of the more, um, you know, what we think of as more typical SEO things like getting the right metadata on your page. You know, there are some basic ones like, you know, you're supposed to put a language on your document. So put that in your HTML. You're supposed to put a canonical URL. So what a canonical URL is, this is actually important to to get right. You can be penalized quite severely if you if you get this wrong. If you have your site ho- hosted in multiple pages or if you have like any duplicate, you know, pages or places where you serve up a site, Google will flag that as potentially being spam and it can be really bad for, for your search rankings. Like they can um, put you, they can punish you for that. And so um, you need to, uh, if you have duplicate content and duplicate places where you host, host the same site, you need to have a canonical URL. And what that's saying is, yes, this page is in two different places, but this is the main one. Like if somebody searches on Google Show them this one because this is like the proper URL for this.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, that that makes me think about. So yeah, that that makes me wonder: should I run Lighthouse on a single page of the website, or should I run it on several pages? Because uh, it can, like, my homepage could be great, but when I go to the about page or contact page, whatever, it, it might tell me there are plenty of problems. Does That's it, such
0: a good question.
1: Does Lighthouse even try to crawl your website, or
0: I don't believe it does. I don't think so either. But I'm not sure if webpagetest.org does either. Webpagetest.org like runs these Lighthouse metrics, but it actually will perform them on like mobile devices. And there there are some different tools like this that I don't think they do that. But it's not a bad idea. Yeah, I it, think of it's... this as like an art more than a science. That you know, it's just like. The more information the better, and you know, yeah, you may as well run it run it on on multiple pages so the um so I've thought a lot about like these sort of um open graph SEO things and and that sort of thing, so we can talk a little bit about that in a nutshell. I think that if you have a marketing page, a conference website a you know a portfolio page a a blog you know if i if I send you a link to to a blog post that I wrote you know or if i send you a link to my resume site or something like that i don't want to send you the link and then in slack it like doesn't unfold properly or on twitter it like gives you an anticlimactic preview mhm yeah that it just it feels unprofessional to me and if i put in time and effort to make a polished site or blog post or whatever i i want a nice preview because previews like Previews just make things look more official and authoritative. Mm -hmm. To me, I don't trust links if they don't have a good preview.
1: So you you don't trust any links to my uh, to my blog to my blog site.
0: (laughs) Oh, do they not have?
1: (laughs) I did not put any
0: effort (laughs) into that. So uh, it may have it. It may have it. I I think it does. But the logo it might have the Gatsby logo on it. Yeah, Yeah. it has the
1: Gatsby logo definitely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. so um i think because it's,
1: it's because it's not an elm pages website yet
0: yet yeah so i think i think it's worth putting a little bit of love into those things and i mean that you know as we've talked about that was that was one thing i i felt was really important in elm pages was to make that a good experience and to use type safe api to guide you towards doing that with confidence rather than like reading having a hundred tabs open and finding blog posts that tell you what, you know, head tags you should put in, in your page or whatever, you know? Um, so, uh, I think it's, it's worth getting the open graph tags, right? Putting a little effort into that or using Elm pages, another option. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and you can, I mean, that, that's the basics, just getting the open graph tags, which are going to give you the, the previews in Slack, Twitter, various social networks, which I shall not name. Uh,
1: <laughs> we all, you already mentioned a few. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. And like if you send a text message, it's going to unfold properly and things like that. So I, I think it's really nice to have. Mm-hmm. If you preload your pages, it's going to tend to do that you know, more reliably because not all services will execute JavaScript in order to get a preview yeah scan for yeah. those meta tags to give you a preview so so that's that's definitely worth doing and um i don't know that lighthouse will tell you about open graph tags actually i think it will just tell you you know your page should have a description and a title to make uh, search engines happy and and some basic things like that so so i mean and just in general like having having a good lighthouse score perhaps it's necessary but not sufficient
1: yeah i was wondering like do you when you get to a very good score, like 96 to 100 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on every metric, do you stop or do you continue somehow?
0: Oh, definitely. De- you definitely continue. It's just the starting point. And in fact, there are um, several places where it uh, Lighthouse will give you a, a manual set of audits to perform. And it says, like, these aren't automated, but you should run through this checklist.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll link to that. Mm hmm. I don't think we'll be able to go through best practices and accessibility at this point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there, there's so much. You know, yeah, about. yeah, definitely. We actually talked about several best practices already. You know, we talked about yeah. serving things up with HTTP two, and you know, if you if you use a a CDN, it's going to give you the proper compression and things like that. You know, I mean, there a lot of these things are um, really just. Uh, Run Lighthouse, see what it tells you. Mm-hmm. If you can just do it, do it. If you need to research it a little bit, spend a little time, see if you can do it, and make Lighthouse happy. It's it's um it's a it's a useful tool.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it will it will find a, quite a lot of um, low hanging fruits. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, to get exactly. you
0: started. Right, for yeah. accessibility. So um, I'm certainly not an expert in accessibility. Um, Lighthouse is also not an expert in accessibility. It's only going to Tell you about some basic violations. Um, I mean, there are some useful things. It's going to tell you if your you know contrast ratio isn't high enough. If you have you know for, if you for have colors uh, rights, yeah. If you have a yellow font over an orange background, then it's going to tell you people might have a hard time reading that. If you don't have an alt tag on images, it's going to be unhappy about that, and as it should be. You know, there are some basic things like that that are just really um, it's not rocket science. You should definitely do it. But it's definitely not like, oh, I get a perfect accessibility score on Lighthouse. Therefore, somebody can, you know, use a, um, you know, a, a voice a text, like, reader. text reader yeah. to navigate my site. No, not at all. Um, there are more robust tools for analyzing that. Like Axe is a popular accessibility tool. It's worth looking at. So essentially, but uh, some of the wisdom that I've heard about accessibility is that um, people talk a lot about ARIA tags, and there's a lot in Lighthouse about ARIA tags. And one of the things I've heard is that, so Lighthouse is going to complain if you improperly use certain ARIA tags, but in general, ARIA tags should be your last resort. If you can make something accessible without using ARIA tags, then it's better to do that.
1: Using a proper um, HTML tags, for
0: instance. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's it's not you know aria tags are really designed if you're doing like very nuanced things with JavaScript and you know JavaScript carousels and things like that and you need to announce changes and things like that then aria can can help you there but for basic things on just a static website usually you, you won't need ARIA to, to specify those things and make them accessible. So you want to reach first for, you know, semantic HTML, you know, having... Um,
1: Real buttons,
0: headers, footers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And then there at the bottom of the, the accessibility, we'll, we'll link to this, there's uh, additional items to manually check. So again, you know, it's uh, it's the starting point for accessibility, not... Mm-hmm. not the all end all
1: but if you don't have perfect score then start with that
0: exactly yeah all right well i think uh we've given people a lot to chew on any last things we want to hit on yeah
1: i was wondering how to run a lighthouse uh, to start with so what i did was search for search for a lighthouse on google and then it gave me a website to run it so that's what i tried and then at the beginning of this episode, you reminded me that it was inside the browser to start with. Yes. <laughs> I knew that, but I totally forgot about it.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Then we should definitely repeat that here. Yeah. If you want to get started, I, I actually use Brave as my browser, which is based yeah. on Chromium. Somehow Lighthouse seems to have trouble running in Brave. So I, what I do, that may, maybe that's different in the latest version. I just open Chrome.
1: I yeah, just go to Chrome, okay.
0: and I uh, pull up the DevTools. You don't have all your
1: extensions. Um, that that's true. Impact performance, for instance.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if it takes that into account or not. But yeah, there's you know, it's not a bad thing to have like a sort of vanilla, plain browser and have it use that for for that benchmarking and stuff. Yeah, just open up the Chrome DevTools, click the Lighthouse tab, and say generate report.
1: Yeah. So while researching that, I I am someone who really likes to uh, work in things and then making sure that they do not uh, regress. So I looked at whether you could run Lighthouse in your CI, and there is a Lighthouse NPM package, so you can just run uh, plenty of. Um, yeah, you, you can run um, Lighthouse mm-hmm. in your CI or in a yes. custom application that you you make if you want right.
0: to right and you can yeah you can create a history if you want to get clever yeah. with it you can set a threshold
1: yeah and then yeah you can configure a ci uh with a custom script that checks whether things have gotten worse or uh compared to a history or i don't know compared to a budget so i've not tried that out obviously but i re- I thought that was interesting so you can use it to to get analytics and find out where you can improve but you can also use it as a regression tool probably not the best one i'm guessing there are more uh, specialized uh, tools but if you have uh, ci workers to spare then <laughs> maybe it's useful
0: yeah yeah definitely yeah it's not a bad idea to run a tool like axe as well for checking accessibility in a more robust way netlify has a plugin for lighthouse as well i haven't used it yet it it was created pretty Uh, pretty recently i think that's something i want to check out seems like a good way to do it all
1: right yeah i think there are plenty of um things to talk about about lighthouse performance accessibility uh and maybe we'll talk about that in other uh, episodes but i think Mm -hmm. we, we covered quite a lot already
0: i think i think that should give people a good deal to think about and also um so you know if you want to get started with this stuff i mean Again, just run Lighthouse, see mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah, there's also uh, Web.dev is this website that the uh, you know Chrome, uh, the the Google Devrel team maintains, and they they do a really good job giving you these resources on these best practices and modern web practices. And there's a, a whole section that talks about Lighthouse audits. And and when you run Lighthouse um, and it flags an issue, it it does a really good job linking you to a thoughtful article that gives you resources and, and reasoning behind these things. So, lots of lots of good resources to help with these basic practices. And it, it's just a it's just a basic you know basic hygiene you know web app hygiene sort of thing that um, I think any LMAP should be looking at these basics and at least aware of issues.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening, and give us a rating on apple podcasts check us out on twitter and ask us a question elm-radio.com slash question let us know what you'd like to hear about next all right see you next time see you next time happy performance tuning